All right, everyone. Welcome to Magnifying God. I am your host, Adam Michael, and we have been doing a series for quite a while now. I believe it's almost been a month-long series, maybe a little bit more, and we've been unpacking this book, Prepare to Overcome. Now, this Prepare to Overcome is written in four parts. The first part, which is Equipping the Saints, which prior to this, it was actually a workbook called Equipping the Saints. And they, what, we, what has been done is that workbook has been transferred into this first section. And then we have uh, the second section, which is the royal priesthood. And we talk a little bit about the royal priesthood and what that entails. And then we move down to the third section, which is Malachi. And it's all about the book of Malachi. And then finally, we get to now the fourth section. The fourth section. Now, the fourth section is the Zadok priesthood. The Zadok priesthood. Now, we're focusing on three chapters today, and then that's going to complete the entire book. Chapter 20 of the Zadok priesthood is a priest by election. And then we move to chapter 21, a priesthood by birth, and then chapter 22, a priesthood restored. And we've got Debbie Simpson on the line. She is going to unpack this idea, this concept, this biblical truth of the Zadok priesthood. Debbie, you there? I am. How are you, Adam? I'm doing pretty well. And uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say about the Zadok priesthood. Uh, and with all due, Nevi, take it away. Thank you. Well, um, as we're wrapping up this study on intimacy with the Lord and overcoming, I'd like to um, just touch on the fact that the focus of the study today is going to be a little bit different. The study on the priesthood and the bride highlights distinguishing factors that would disqualify God's people from these positions of rank and eminence in the kingdom. But in today, um, in today's study on the Zadok priesthood, God shows us through his word why um, such a one would qualify to be numbered among those whom God would choose, and why the Zadok priesthood is a priesthood by election, distinct and independent of the obligatory right by birth. And we kind of touched on that um, with our last podcast. The priesthood is not a birthright, simply because birthright doesn't guarantee distinction, and distinction is what defines the privilege of the priesthood. We find what makes this Zadok priesthood distinct in Ezekiel chapter 40, verses 45 to 46. And it says, And he said unto me, This chamber whose prospect is toward the south is for the priests, the keepers of the charge of the house. And the chamber whose prospect is toward the north is for the priests, the keepers of the charge of the altar. These are the sons of Zadok among the sons of Levi, which come near to the Lord to minister unto him. So as we look into this, we see that the priests that are classified as the Zadok priests, they keep, we talked about this, guard, attend to, preserve, exercise great care over. They keep the charge, the obligation. The definition for that is um, that which is required for the service to be performed of the altar. We talked about the altar. The altar, by definition, the place of covenant, sustained by death to self. Okay, the, the altar is a place of death. And, and when we come into covenant, we lay our lives in the altar. We put to death the flesh. We put to death ourselves. So it is a place marked by constancy of praise, worship, and intercession. The superiority of loyalty found in those who be Zadok priests causes them to be from or out of the sons of Levi. So that word from um, that's the definition that means a separation out of or away from due to ascribed distinctions. It is the choice, the best of its class or kind. So this really kind of um, swings us back also to the word chosen. And this, this is indeed your definition. So we see that owing to this, the Zadok priest ministers service to the king. As you've read through that verse, you see the distinction between those who serve the um, house and those who serve the charge of the courts. So what we're seeing with the Zadok priest is that this personal service to the king versus the king's things is a higher category of service such that the servant himself is of higher rank 
So this category of service, <clears throat> excuse me, is only possible for one who can come near. And we, a word near means close as in physical proximity to. So the Zadok priest is one who can come to physical proximity, the most near, bearing witness to the degree of intimacy that's been established through loyal love because he'd be found in the oracle. So we see here by this verse <clears throat> what is made clear regarding what the Zadok priest does do. What does he do? Well, he's the one who at the end of the day is the one who is keeping charge of the altar. And that's a, that's a big deal in that definition. He keeps the obligation, which is required for the service to be, to be performed. So the next verse that refer, refers to the Zadok priesthood in the book of Ezekiel is Ezekiel 43, verse 19. So we see here that that says, and thou shalt give to the priests of the Levites that be of the seed of Zadok, which approach unto me to minister unto me, saith the Lord of God, Lord God, a young bull for a sin offering. So what we're seeing here is we're looking into the words that surround the Zadok priesthood in the scripture. One of the words is approach. Okay, the Zadok, the seed of Zadok, which would approach unto me. Well, those who would approach God would do so, here's your definition, they would do so as a near kinsman, a responsible blood relative of like a family tie. So, you know, this is the word approach that would be used when it talks in scripture about a husband approaching a wife. This is a this is the intimacy that is um, equivalent to a family or a family tie. So we see here that he will be the seed, that, ver that word seed, a spiritual descendant of Zadok. So this is a spiritual descendant. Inherent in this understanding is that the Levitical priest would be a physical descent through the bloodline. And that distinct from out of this by election is the spiritual seed of Levi. The spiritual seed are those who are joined or attached to God. And it's this group of believers or people in his assembly that God declares will approach unto him. So again, we see that this priesthood is by election and that they are a spiritual seed. What's that mean? Well, they operate by the spirit of God. They operate in a spiritual manner. So the third verse in Ezekiel that references the Zadok priesthood and highlights their distinction would be um, Ezekiel 44:15. And before I read this, what I want you to kind of plug into is that they're distinct because you see in this description this faithfulness amidst the treachery by the general assembly, which are the people of God themselves. So Ezekiel 44:15 states, but the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, so this is who we're talking about, the sons of Zadok that kept the charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me. They shall come near to me to minister unto me, and they shall stand before me to offer unto me the fat and the blood, saith the Lord God. So what this verse is revealing is that not only do these priests keep the charge of God's sanctuary, his sacred space, as a matter of course in their own lives, but they keep it in direct opposition to the societal and cultural pressure that surrounds them. They refuse to succumb to the status quo, the prevalent societal norms that would redefine covenant, corrupt the standards, call it obedience, acceptable unto the Lord. So while the religious culture around them had gone astray, well, what's that word? Astray means had erred, wondered morally and spiritually causing confusion. So this is your definition of astray. When you lead astray, it causes confusion. So the spiritual seed of Levi, Zadok, they had maintained a distinction between God's requirements and man-made theological standards. So in addition to drawing near, they will also stand before the Lord. That word stand indicates, here's your definition, to remain, to endure. It's from the same root as pillar giving the connotation of a perpetual, enduring place in the kingdom of God. This kind of shoots us into the book of Revelation, which um, talks about those who overcome will become pillars in the temple of the Lord. 
So we see that the terminology used in Ezekiel 44.15 to describe these priests during a period of spiritual decline among the assembly is an expression of their servitude, dedication, and allegiance. And that is part of the definition, interestingly enough, in the theological word book with regards to this word stand in this context, that it is describing these priests during a spiritual period of spiritual decline that expresses the truth of their servitude, dedication, and allegiance. So we see that the idea of drawing near as a distinguishing privilege is a key repeated phrase and used consistently in conjunction with the Zadok priesthood. So this serves as a reminder that drawing near to God in, in this capacity requires a special choosing by God, those whom he will choose. And it's merited not by birth, but by one's presentation before him as holy and pure. So these are really things that have not been, like we said over and over again, woven into the um, doctrinal foundation underpinnings of our faith, that this degree of sanctity is the, the baseline in God's opinion, but it's non-existent, you know, in um, this last day's Laodicean church. Um, you guys you know, who are listening may not agree. It's been my experience that um, rather than highlighting sanctity and purity in the lives of believers, that's been kind of the footnote. But what's really been highlighted is that we can you know, walk in a manner that is inferior, and it's the blood of Jesus that would purify and forgive. And it's always seeming to be the common teaching or the common fallback that it's okay to not be pure and distinct because that's what the blood of Jesus is for. So, but what we're seeing in these verses is that, you know, this is for God, this degree of sanctity before him is holy and pure. I mean, that's, that's just the common expectation. So the Zadok priests were select, not just for maintaining the sanctity among the assembly, but now this gets even more intriguing. But even among the priesthood that had bowed to the pressure and gone astray. So we, as it goes on in Ezekiel 48.11, it states this. So it shall be for the priests that are sanctified of the sons of Zadok, which have kept my charge, which went not astray when the children of Israel went astray, as the Levites went astray. So what's this saying? It's saying that the Zadok priest has the inner fortitude to maintain his spiritual integrity even among his colleagues. This is a big deal. So these are those who, by virtue of their position and learning, wield great influence and cause many of their cultural, uh, have caused many by their corrupted teaching or the Torah to compromise covenant requirements. So these colleagues have been identified here as the Levites. So what this verse is saying is that the Zadok priests kept their charge and they did not go astray, even as the Levites went astray. And it is the Levites who, by virtue of their position and learning, wield great influence and have caused many by the corrupted teaching of the Torah to compromise covenant requirements or perhaps even annul them altogether through partiality in their instruction. So these are those that stand accused by God in the scripture of leading his people astray, but not so the spiritual seed of Zadok. So this verse makes, makes it clear, again, what the Zadok priest does not do. He does not compromise because of undue influence by colleagues, you know, not just the General Assembly, but even those in the General Assembly who wield great influence. So... It's clear from God's commentary in Ezekiel 48.11 that the Levites had succumbed to the societal and cultural pressure and also clearly echoes the indictment of God against the selfsame group of Malachi as the sons of Levi. We see with consistency throughout the scriptures that the pitfall of assumption is carelessness. So to presume the priesthood leads to careless mishandling of the word, while terror or panic for fear of judgment from God leads to pious behavior, and that the lips 
would preserve knowledge. That's what this fear and terror will result in. So um, we want to be walking in a manner that is born out of a fear of knowledge. It's just going to be judgment. All right. And the judgment is a loss of our rank in the kingdom. We can't assume that the priesthood is by right of birth and then carelessly mishandle the word because there's no fear. So Ezekiel 22, 26 to 28 delineates the multiple transgressions against covenant by those in charge of its preservation. You know, that would be the believer today, right? So what we see here is that um, God calls out in this scripture, the priests, those who are the minister of sacred things, the prince, the leaders, or the elders of the assembly. These would be those who influence through teaching the realm of education. This would be the colleagues, all right? These would be those who are of a position in the kingdom that because they would wield so much um, influence over the prestige and the position within the assembly, they also wield great influence over, you know, one's ability to stand firm, to to um, speak or teach that which would perhaps contradict their stance on a matter. In addition, God calls out the prophet, those among God's people who declare that what they say or speak accurately represents the word. All right, accurately represents the mind or heart of God. And in so doing, knowingly or unknowingly, they lay claim to speaking as an oracle of God. So that's a big deal. The listing of the many transgressions of those representative of God's word, you know, the priest, the prince, and the prophet would include um, that they've done violence to the law that they've made no distinction, that they have pursued dishonest gain, that they have destroyed souls, that they did daub with untempered mortar, and that they do speak vain things, they speak lies. So what we see here, it says in Ezekiel 22, 26, her priests have violated my law. They have profaned my holy things. They've made no distinction between the holy and the profane. Neither have they showed difference between the clean and the unclean. They've hid their face from my Sabbath, and I am profaned among them. So he goes on to say, the princes thereof in the midst are like wolves, ravening the prey. They shed blood and they destroy to get dishonest gain. And it concludes in verse 28, as he addresses the prophet, her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, seeing, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them saying, thus says the Lord, when the Lord has not spoken. So as we go through this listing, what we're seeing here is that the priests have done violence. And we've talked about violence. It's a sacrifice of inferior quality. It's an inappropriate sacrifice. And in addition to that, per definition, we see it's a, it's a legal term, and it infers the need for justice or correction of an injustice committed. So um, it references those who, because of an improper sacrifice or a sacrifice of inferior quality, these are those who knowingly live in sin and can intend to continue to do so. So this isn't about someone who's in sin and they don't realize it. The law is synonymous with teaching. Both law and teaching are translated Torah. So priests are to teach the law by word and by example, and it's evident from these definitions that one who calls himself a priest and lives in known sin would do violence by setting an example that would lead astray, all right, lead to confusion, lead to someone else's ruin. So when one teaches this law for any reason other than love of God, this is part of the definition. This is um, also included. Is that um, again the one who teaches the law uh, by reason other than the love of God? For instance, love of position, prestige, money. I mean, it's his vocation. It's his salary. <laughs> then it's deemed an idol, and he inevitably becomes a teacher of lies. 
When a priest of God operates with no distinction, he operates from a very low standard, and he makes the command the he makes common God's holy objects. What would those be? Well, his gospel, his word, the ministry, his kingdom, you know, just to name a few. So it's not that if you're teaching the law or you're a pastor, um, and you know, as a result of this, this is your salary, it's not that which causes you to do violence to the law. It's the motivation behind it. Is it loving God? Is it the love of God alone? Or is it, this is what I do to earn a living? So I just want to be clear on that. So it goes on to say that um, when a priest of God operates with no distinction, he operates from a very low standard. He makes common God's holy objects, as we've said. So they've lost sight that God's priests are in truth those who operate in a privileged position. And it is a privilege to make a separation out of the common unto the sphere of the Lord. The final indictment against these priests is their neglect of the Sabbath. We talked about that yesterday, the Sabbath rest and the um, and the definition of that. God gives that himself in Hebrews, that my people did not enter in their rest because of unbelief. You know, the belief is everything that has been made known about Christ and everything that has been made known through Christ. All these things have been made known through Christ. The Spirit of God being dispensed upon believers has made all of the scriptures available to be opened up to a spiritual understanding. And when we step into that spiritual understanding, everything that's been made known through Christ, that's when we begin to operate in rest. And if there's no belief in that, you don't step into the rest. So you're profaning the Sabbath. So in addition to this, um, we see that these princes promote themselves or their well-being at the expense of their brethren. And they do this um, as uh, God describes as being dishonest gain. So in pursuit of dishonest gain, they cut out for themselves that which is not their own, so as to promote themselves and their own well-being at the expense of their brethren. And they do this in um, the realm of the spiritual, in the realm of the kingdom of God. Okay, typically this is the sphere of education. So the teaching. So what they see here. In their own greed and covetousness, they are unjust for profit. This is all part of this definition. And the acquisition of gain becomes the ruling motive in their life, obscuring duty, honor, and the rights of others. So this is a pitfall that we need to be careful as believers not to fall into so that we do not ourselves um, reflect these things in our lives. What's going on with these princes, the, these people, these elders in the assembly that have um, operated in dishonest gain is that they have traded out love of others for love of self and their actions destroy this is another scripture re reference to in the scriptures those under their care what's that mean they bring them to a worse state so we see that lust for gain is in direct opposition to the unselfish devotion of the lord its most disastrous result is the tendency to dull the hearing of God's word because Ezekiel 33, 31 states that. So God is talking to Ezekiel and he says, they, my people, come unto thee as the people cometh. And they sit before thee as my people and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For their mouth, in their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. So then, you know, the list continues with regards to the prophets in Ezekiel 22, 28. And it says that the prophets portray themselves, these prophets are those who portray themselves as a spokesman for God or as having received divine communication and speaking it forth. So what do they do? Well, they daub. The definition is a smear. The people with foolishness. That's the definition of untempered mortar. Untempered mortar is foolishness. So these who speak as a spokesman of God, they smear the people with foolishness. 
They daub them with untempered mortar. The visions that they share as coming from the Lord are vanity. What's that mean? They purport emptiness and falsehood, and in God's eyes are deemed worthless. They divine lies. That is, here's your definition, to speak that which is not true, and in so doing, they practice witchcraft. Witchcraft, um, by definition, is to be controlling. That's why this reflects that. So as we continue with this definition of divining lies, they represent the God of truth as a God of lies. For, you know, to speak, thus saith the Lord, is equivalent to saying the word of God says, the gospel of Jesus is, then to finish with a falsehood, to finish with a corruption of the word. See, a priest's lips should preserve knowledge, and the law of truth is in his mouth. We saw that in Malachi. So the Ezekiel verses here, they highlight the distinction of the Zadok priest. The Zadok priests are those, they do not go astray, even as the Levites or the spiritual leaders and the congregation, the people in the assembly. Okay. Um, and they don't do this for the sake of keeping peace among God's people whom themselves have gone astray. God's indictment regarding those who would represent his name is that they had led astray those under their spiritual care. They had corrupted the word. They had shown partiality with his word. And in so doing, they had profaned the word. So his judgment for these infractions is summarized in Ezekiel 44.10. Here God states that they will bear the punishment for this iniquity. And what is that punishment? Well, they're going to be ministers of the tabernacle. And they'll keep the, the charge of the house and the service to the house. But they shall not come near to me to serve me or my holy objects, saith the Lord. So if any of these practices are in our lives, if these descriptions portray ourselves, then now is the time to repent. You know, to go to the Lord and say, hey, I'm sorry. It's time to change our minds, even if we talk about what repentance is. It's a time for thanksgiving and praise. Why? Because God and his love and his mercy has revealed to us those things which would cost us, you know, eternal rewards. As you go to, you know, it reminds me of Psalm 19, verses 12 to 14, where um, it says, Who can discern his error? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also, keep back thy servant from presumptuous sin. Let presumptuous sin, let them, let presumptuous sin not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In his love and in his mercy, God is bringing revelation to what is going on in our lives that is presumptuous sin that are ruling over us, that these are hidden faults. But we want to be blameless. We want to be acquitted of these great transgressions. And we need God himself to do a work in our hearts and minds, in our, in our hearts for understanding, in our minds to change our minds, so that at the end of the day, the words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart are acceptable in God's sight, not acceptable in the sight of the assembly, not acceptable in the sight of our colleagues, but acceptable in the sight of our God. If we have not already attained to this position before our Lord and King as a Zadok priest, then coming before the Lord, even as Psalm 19, this would be the path that would get us there coming to the Lord and, and, and repenting and asking God to show us the hidden transgression in our hearts and our understanding. However, if we choose to continue to stand in the congregation of God as his minister, serving him in an inferior capacity in a way that we ourselves would choose, then our choice will picture that which is shown in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 30 and 35. So what's going on here? In 1 Samuel chapter 2, we see that Eli is the priest and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, have 
operated in an inferior manner before the people. These are those in the congregation who had positions of leadership, positions of influence, who were in charge of the word of God, the oracle of God, and they were subverting their service to God to serve the people. The General Assembly at this time were operating in an inferior manner, and rather than standing up against the assembly and, and making waves, Hophni and Phineas, they um, subverted the word of God to keep the peace among the assembly. And God was not pleased. And his commentary on this was this, 1 Samuel 2, verses, um, verses 30 and 35. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I did indeed say that your house, he's talking to Eli, and the house of your father, if should they walk before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. And this is God's commentary on how he feels about Eli allowing his sons to operate in a manner that would subvert the honor of God to the whims of men. So he goes on to say in verse 35, but I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul, and I will build him an enduring house, and he will walk before my anointed ways. I submit to you that we all begin as a Hophni and a Phineas, born in these last days, latest day in church, where as we're operating in our position, as believers, we believed that we were operating in a place of prominence and prestige as, as priests in the kingdom. But when this has proven to be inferior and then when it has proven that we've done violence to the law, that we've corrupted the law, that in so doing we've brought in confusion to people that has led to their ruin, then we have a choice. We can rise up and receive what the word of God has to say, repent and change our mind, and therefore then um, come before the Lord. Be, you know, if this is what we want, do we want to be the faithful priest who will do according to what is in God's heart and, his whole, and in his soul? God's going to raise up. He says his eyes roam to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking for a heart that's wholly his. And when he finds the heart that's wholly his, this is the one that he will raise up as a faithful priest. So what we see here is that God has done this, and we see this in Zechariah chapter 3. We talked about this. If you look at Zechariah chapter 2, it talks about in that day. So we're seeing that in that day is the, is the end of the age. That's where we're at now. Zechariah 3, 1 through 3, we've talked about this in previous podcasts, so I'm just going to touch on it lightly, because this is the faithful Zadok priest that God is raising up, and this is the picture. So Zechariah 3, 1 through 3, he says, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. Now Joshua was clothed in filthy garments, and he stood before this angel. What you, we need to know is if we go to Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, we see that Joshua was the son of Jehozadak. So that's J-E-H-O Zadok, Z-E-D-O-K. He was a descendant of Zadok. So this is a picture of the Zadok priesthood. Okay. So Joshua, as a son of Zadok, was the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. However, we see in verse 3, Joshua was clothed in filthy garments and he stood before the angel. So Joshua is a symbol. He's the physical picture of the Old Testament high priest representing the New Testament believer. Okay, the church whose original intent and purpose by God was the minister to him in the capacity and function of his priest. However, what we see here is this. Joshua, he's clothed in filthy garments. The grounds upon which Satan is standing to accuse him and speak accusations against this high priest of God. Joshua pictures the corporate church appointed as a high priest yet fallen away filthy. 
So those appointed by God for this hour, yet made filthy by apostasy, corruption of covenant mandates, and partiality to his word are pictured in the filthy garments on Joshua, the Zadok priest that God is going to raise up. So then it goes on to say in, in chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, And he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment, that is, festal robes. Okay? And I said, Let them place a fair mitre or a turban upon his head. So they set a fair mitre on his head, and they clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. Right here, this is what you're seeing here. This is a picture. God is raising up for himself. God's doing this. Joshua was helpless in his filthy garments. He held the position of priest. But God's going to raise him up to a Zadok priesthood. And God's going to do this himself. He's got, God himself will remove the filthy garments. God himself will place a fair miter upon his head. And that's what God is doing in this last day. We see that this mantle or garment of fine linen depicts the clothing of both kings and priests. This is your definition. This is the mantle of the authority that God will place on a people who will become both priests and kings to him as a royal priesthood. God does this. It's by his choice. It's by his election. So we're seeing here that in addition to his clothing being restored, the high priestly company is given that mitre. We talked about this. This pictures or signifies a renewed mind. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 to 6. All right, we talked about that. Um, Whereby all the strongholds of Satan's deceptions that would corrupt divine communication have been removed. There's no confusion regarding God's attempt. There's no double-mindedness. This mitre that's been placed upon his head represents the renewed mind, and it signifies the mind of Christ in its totality as reflected in that gold plate stating holy unto the Lord that's been placed on that mitre. So what we're seeing is that God is replacing the filthy garments. God is renewing the mind. That's what is being revealed through his scriptures as he's rebuilding these ancient foundations. As Zechariah continues in verses 6 and 7, that the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua and saying, okay, so this is what the angel says to Joshua. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if. So now this is where we as believers step up to the plate. All right, and this is where the decision will be made, the deciding factor. It lies in our hands. If thou will walk in my ways, outer court. If thou wilt keep my charge, holy place, then thou shalt also judge my house and shall keep charge of my courts, most holy place. And I will give thee places to walk among these who stand by. And as you've read through Zechariah chapter 3, you're seeing that there is a divine council that's present, the angels of the Lord. This is the grouping of God's divine council operating in the heavenly realms to institute the kingdom of God and to be walking and talking and, and discoursing with God with regards to the affairs that God wants done. And those are the Elohim. That is the company which God is going to grant these people a place amongst them. And you shall also keep my course and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. So, this is the destination, the final, you know, the, the final place that you know, we, we are walking toward. We start in the outer courts, all right? If you will walk in my ways, this is the keeping of God's word. You know, if you will perform my service, this condition bears direct reference to the priesthood, and it would reflect the mandates that God set forth in Leviticus 21, you know, being a virgin, having no flat nose, having no blind eye, having no diseased eye, all those things. This is one who would perform God's service. He also presents to the cherubim, pictured upon the veil, patterned perfectly in Jesus. 
someone who would embody the compassion of a man for men, self-sacrificing service and willing submission to the king, operating in the authority from the heights, taking dominion, giving no ground to the enemy that would make one suitable um, to aptly govern this house. So what we're seeing here is that this, at the end of the Zechariah verse, what we're seeing is that um, there is a if-then statement going on. God is going to raise up for himself the Zadok priest. He's going to, once again, provide everything necessary for us to clean ourselves off, to renew our mind. So, and then we then decide, are we going to springboard off of the positioning God has given us? In these scriptures, he's brought revelation to light regarding how holy our God is and the degree of sanctity it requires for people to come and not just worship nigh him, but to minister to him in closer and closer proximity. And if we receive what he is revealing and we come before him and we ask him to, to institute this in our lives and we are willing to empty ourselves and let God do his work in us, then we continue to move into greater and greater intimacy and to acquire, you know, these greater positions before the Lord. Because as we empty ourselves, we become more filled up with him, we become more qualified. So we see this Zadok priesthood is first pictured in Genesis 14, 18, and it's portrayed in the person of Melchizedek. So if we go to Genesis 14, 18, it says that this king of peace, this king of Salem, or peace, is so named Melchi, king, Zadok, righteousness, Melchizedek, king of righteousness. This pictures the royal kingly priesthood, priest. So this is the first picture of that royal priesthood. He operated over his domain as a king and as a priest. His rulership exhibited knowledge of the true God, El Elyon, God Most High. And he had passed the test of maintaining righteous standards when the spiritual leaders went astray, even as Lot went astray, bound to the pressure of the ancient world. We see this in 2 Peter 2, 6-8. Lot, we know, was a spiritual leader, and he would qualify for the, um, the prince because he sat in the gates of Sodom as a judge and as a ruler. Okay, He also maintained appropriate, acceptable worship. Melchizedek did amid a culture immersed in the dark influenced by idolatry. Melchizedek was a priest of God, not by bloodline, as Israel had not even been born yet, but by election. So we see here that he foreshadowed the patterned son, Jesus. This was mentioned in Hebrews chapter 5. And Jesus, who set the example for believers to follow as a forerunner. So we learn in Hebrews, for our instruction, that this high priestly position is after the order of or after the example of Melchizedek, okay? And that it is a priesthood appointed by God. It's by election. It's not by birth, but it's a position held by virtue of the quality with which one comports himself. It's a position that's open to all, and that's what God wants to make clear. It's open to all, but it's only, re but it's reserved for those who would operate as both a priest and a king. And this, again, it shoots us back to the very first section of this book where um, we're talking about the broken walls, and as we are rebuilding those walls, then we begin to operate as the king in that we're beginning to take dominion over the demonic, first in our own lives and then in the territory around us. So that's the kingly aspect that began to be built upon that foundation from the very beginning of this, this study. So the other thing that I'd like to pull in to, to help um, really complete our understanding of this dual priesthood of the Levitical by bloodline, sons of Levi, operating in inferior um, covenant, the dual priesthood as it operates side by side with the Zadok priesthood. All right. This is going on today. 
What we see here in this picture, though, is um, a dual priesthood of the Zadok and Abiathar in the time of David. So this is a picture, Old Testament physical picture, of the New Testament spiritual truth. As these two priests, Zadok and Abiathar, coexisted. All right, the Zadok priesthood and the sons of Levi priesthood. First Kings chapter 1 records that when King David was old, his son Adonijah conspired to, um, to take the throne. All right. We all know it was supposed to go to Solomon, but Adonijah was going to create a coup and overtake. His father was near death, and he was going to take the throne. So what happened was um, what Adonijah did was he conspired with Abiathar, the priest, who served under David. But David had another priest who was also serving under him. His name was Zadok. So we see here in 1 Kings chapter 1, it states, But Zadok and the mighty men of David were not with Adonijah. Abiathar, this continues in verse 8, was of the line of Eli, whose sons Hophni and Phinehas died before the Lord as a consequence of despising his name. So Zadok was of the line of Aaron. We see this in 1 Chronicles 6, 8. And he was, interestingly enough, a warrior numbered among David's mighty men. So he's named in 1 Chronicles 12, 28 as one of David's mighty men. So we see here that Zadok is portraying a warrior king or the royal priesthood. So what happened is at the time of David's death, Abiathar, his son, aligned himself, excuse me, Abiathar, the priest, aligned himself with Adonijah who pictures for us a ministry of self-exaltation. That's what Adonijah was doing. Abiathar was the priest who was influenced by a man-centered ministry. He compromised his loyalty to his king. And we see that upon hearing of this treachery, David, who is a type of Christ, calls for Zadok. So it goes on to say in verse 132, then King David said, call to me Zadok the priest. So what we see here, Interestingly enough, is that the Zadok and Abiathar priesthoods operate side by side, much like today. Okay, we have two types of priests in the assembly of God. The Abiathar priesthood pictures the sons of Levi, who they're influenced by their culture. The Zadok priesthood is influenced by no one. And for this reason, he ministers unto God and not to the tabernacle and not to the people. So that is, um, that is, um, one of the things that we need to be aware of today, if we're operating as a priest under God, you know, we're either going to be a Levi priest, son of Levi, or a Zadok priest. And so, um, you know, really those are your two options. We're going to be operating in the fullness of the, the, um, the veracity and the truthfulness of the word, or we're going to be corrupting it, right? The Zadok priest is distinct as a priest from among priests in that he has kept himself holy in his ministry to the Lord by virtue of the absence of profanity, right? He's remained sanctified. And because of that, he's now permitted by God to be a priest from among priests, qualified to come near and enter into sacred space. The Zadok priest is preeminent before God. We saw this through the book of Ezekiel, all right? And God says, hey, I'm going to be sanctified by them who come near to me. Only those who have treated God as holy will come nigh unto God to minister as his priest. The other significant truth to be noted is that the Zadok priest is chosen by God in accordance with his degree of loyal compassion with kingdom requirements. We saw this in Malachi. The priests and the sons of Levi are disqualified despite status due them by birth. The Zadok priesthood is a priesthood by election and not all by birth qualify. Okay, this is in accordance with Numbers 16.5 that states that God will bring near to himself even the one whom he will choose. The Zadok priesthood is not inherent by birth, but by God's favor. All right, it's ordained by God and it's pictured how one is to approach a holy God. So this is what makes that Zadok priesthood qualified. And so, and I just wanted to um, finish up really and just conclude with all this with going through really what this whole study is all about. 
Okay, the journey of the overcomer. This is a journey of greater intimacy with God. It begins with recognizing the enemy and it ends in his defeat. Any false beliefs that have been born out of deception, they're going to sabotage the believer's attempts to prevail. And the lies that he believes will rob him of the weaponry provided in the arsenal of the word. Okay, the word of God is the wall of God for protection from destruction. In his word, God has revealed the fullness of Christ in the believer, his identity, his authority, his access to the Holy Spirit, the power behind his words, the fact that he's an ambassador, all this. This is ample provision to destroy the enemy. And then as we begin to overcome, this is a kingly pursuit. We grow up into maturity. Okay, the priestly and kingly character becomes refined with use. King David began alone with God in the wilderness. All right, that intimacy there. And he pictures what it is for a believer to start small, just in an intimacy with God. All right. And so then he grows up into maturity, born out of that intimacy. God tells his friends what he's about to do. And we saw that in Amos. So those friends are those who are intimate with him. Those who would listen would discern that there is, you know, a notable similarity between God's Zadok priest, the messenger of Malachi, the bride. By, by virtue of their definitions and by their descriptions, they corporately and individually perfectly picture a royal priesthood. So these are the distinct, the choice, the best of their class or kind. And by virtue of this, they can be found in the most holy place, the place of greatest intimacy, having received the greatest inheritance, the greatest reward. And it's God himself. It's God himself. So that is basically what the study is about. You know, it begins, you know, in the oracle of God. If any man speak, let him speak as an oracle of God. And out of that oracle, God begins to reveal to each of us individually what is going on in our, in our understanding that would sabotage our ability to grow in closeness to him. This is all about greater and greater intimacy with the Lord. And the things that would sabotage that would be not understanding our position before him, um, allowing the enemy to encamp within our vessel, allowing the enemy to encamp in our domain. This would be a profane thing that would not allow us closeness to the Lord. So, and then I think the most dangerous thing that's going on, you know, the thing with, with um, casting out, I think we're all pretty much aware of when we're under the oppression of the enemy, when we have excessive illness, sickness, or disease in our family beyond what's normal, when we um, are, you know, defeated by addictions or um, emotional issues. I mean, that's something that's kind of in your face. But the hidden the, the hidden danger, the one that I feel is most treacherous, what God revealed with me in all of this, is a misunderstanding of exactly how holy God is and the high requirement to come near to a God we all love so much and desire so much and want to be so close with and then to find out that we were believing things and teaching things that offended him and disqualified us from his space. So as we recognize the truths of what these definitions are revealing regarding God's opinion on the matter, we are given an opportunity by God before the end of the race to change our direction and to cross the proper finish line. So that's it, Adam. That's it. No, that's really good. And and it just makes so much sense, uh, you know, when Jesus is talking about it's a narrow road, you know, it's a narrow road, and it is so true that uh, the walk that we have, Jesus has equipped us with everything, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and he's calling for our hearts. He's calling us to lay down our lives so that we could be focused on him and him alone through intimacy. 
Now, with the the more intimate that you get with the Lord, you start falling into these categories, and and the goal is to be in that holy of holies. It's to be that oracle, to be that Zadok priesthood. That's that upward call. And a lot of people are just happy being in the outer court. And this whole show that we have going on is specifically a calling out to those people who really want to press into the Lord, who really want to get to know him, who see what's going on in the world, and they realize that they need to be the light. But first, you have to get alone with the light of the world. You have to get alone with him, the source of light, the source of life, so you can give that life to others. It's literally just you are focused all on the inflow, and then the outflow just naturally happens. The more you get alone with him is the more you become him. And in that place, it is so beautiful because that's where the true transformation happens. And it's happened time and time again. I feel like every day is just another day to see him more clearly. Every day is a day to not only um, see him clearly, but to really discern the voice of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, so that when we realize that when he comes, we'll know. We'll just know. And it's, it's pretty amazing. It's just like the whole idea of the preparation that goes along with a wedding and where our minds need to be set. And this book has been just a true blessing, this Prepare to Overcome. And just know that it's the overcoming of self. It's that overcoming of who you were never created for because you were only created for him in his image and his likeness. And this just lays out that foundation that that it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And know that the Holy Spirit is there to unearth the truths about God and to illuminate the scriptures about him to get a better understanding of who he is because that's what eternal life is. And Debbie, I just want to thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. It's been quite a journey so far. And um, yeah, thank you so much. And with that being said, do you have anything left? Any, Any last thoughts? Um, just as you were talking, um, I just, the thought came to mind that, um, you had said that this journey with the outer court and moving into the Holy of Holies. And, you know, I just feel like the deception is that we can operate in outer court behavior while at the same time expect most holy place privilege. And I think that's really what's being revealed in all this. You, you can't have both. It's one or the other. So that's really all I wanted to add is that, you know, we can't operate in a low low degree or low level of um, quality and yet expect to receive the highest degree of prominence and eminence in the kingdom. So Jesus died to get us into the kingdom. And then once we're in the kingdom, <clears throat> We can um, make choices and decisions with, you know, where where we go from there. So, and of course, it's all even there. It's even with Christ. You right. know, we don't get from one place to the other unless Christ does the work in us. It's just knowing we need to do it. That's all. No, that's really good. And yeah, to all the listeners, that's something that's so important because it's an upward call. This is something that you know a lot of people. It's kind of like my child. My child would be like let's say, disobedient, not following directions, not cleaning their room, not picking up after themselves, and then wanting an ice cream. And it's like, hey, daddy, can I get an ice cream? It's like, no, you can't. And then they're upset. Well, why can't I? You know, and that's why a lot of people, when they go to the Lord in prayer, you know, in prayer, it's yes and amen. That if you are walking in obedience, it's yes and amen. For sure, if if my child came up to me and did all the things that I have instructed or commanded to do, yeah, sure, you want an ice cream? Sure. Hey, and they're like, hey, can I have a bike? Yeah, sure, here, take this, you know? And it's like, it's some of those things that it's so important that we know that. And I know a lot of people, they don't see it that way. And that's why with, you know, the instructions that we have in here, um, it's... In, in the book, it's in the Bible. I mean, it's it's right there. 
Um, that's that's the whole idea behind it, and that's why it it deals with transformation. So that I'm going to think how my father thinks. I'm going to uh, live out my life here as he would if he were here, and he is. He's in me. I just have to allow him to move through me, and I have to yield to the Holy Spirit. I've got to just get out of the way. I've got to surrender already. A lot of people are still hanging onto their life. They're still hanging onto their life, and so then they become double-minded. Then they become, unfortunately ineffective in the kingdom. Now, it's not saying that they've lost their salvation, but unfortunately, they're still walking in an improper manner, and now they're turning to the Lord in the time of need, and it's just like, I'm sorry, you... uh, It's just the whole ice cream thing. It goes back to that whole ice cream scenario. Um, Anyways, with that being said, thank you so much, Debbie, for everything that you've said, and I look forward to a couple other podcasts down the road if you're available. Thank you, Adam.